It's time to talk music, audio gear, and anything else that crosses our minds. I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. And welcome to the Hareton Audio Podcast. So today we're joined by a very special guest. And we, we really didn't think we was going to have any guests on for a while, but we are pleasantly surprised to introduce to you Epic B. Hey, how's it going? Right. So do you, do you want to tell us a bit about yourself as well, Epic B? Yeah, so uh, I'm a music producer uh recording artist dj um i'm from brooklyn new york uh and i'm a pioneer of a music genre called fdm well one of the pioneers yeah because we've been we've been listening to your work actually quite a lot of the day and really getting into it i had i had checked your stuff out before but i thought i could do with a bit of a refresher and it, it's it almost like had me thinking like I was gonna go on a night out or something. It was it was really like hyping us up. I think when we was you know setting everything up, one hundred percent great. Yeah. Thank you, thank you. That's that's the that's the point of FDM. If you don't feel like dancing, if it's not giving you energy, then we're not doing not doing our job. Yeah, because the the um, the beat is sort of supposed to like go with the the dance moves it's sort of like it feeds back into itself doesn't it as in the music is sort of derived from the dance floor culture yeah um in brooklyn is a, a heavily caribbean influence on a lot of the things that goes on and uh in the early 2000s there was a there was a dance style that was coming out of brooklyn called flexin um it was a it was a brooklyn show that that came on to the locals and it was a bunch of different dance crews and they would just go up there and battle and and just dance against other crews and you know try to win and a lot of it was like dance hall dance hall beats mixed with like evanescence or just like just a bunch of crazy blends that you you wouldn't like normally hear um and it it, it started just going crazy and a lot of the dancers started like branching out and doing doing shows or one of the, one of the dance crews actually was on like MTV's uh ABDC and it kind of shed a lot of light on it and the culture kept growing and this they started becoming like producers there was already like DJs but it started being producers actually making music for the dancers to dance to and that's how FDM came about and did that sort of elevate the the dancing do you do you think like when people started making music specifically for that scene do you think like the dancing also came up in its in its own right yeah the dancers went crazy um it was it was something that was specifically made for them so a lot of their movement was like in the details so when we would do certain transitions it would make the dancers do certain moves um and it just it just felt they felt more connected to to what the dancer was trying to bring because the the DJs before us would do all these blends that gave us like the outline. But yeah, as producers, we were able to bring certain elements that you couldn't blend, like you had to create. And it, it was just it was just perfect. It it sounds like like from from where where we're from, where there's there's like club culture, but there's it's not quite the same as what you're talking about. And I think it's so fascinating to, to hear how the music and the, the dancing specifically sort of creates its own thing that, that wasn't previously there and sort of they elevate each other in a way. I think that's fascinating. And 
you know, today, like on this podcast, we talk a lot about the tech and there's, because of the dance hall influence, there's, you've, you've been like chasing down certain sounds like, and brands like say Emu. And do you find like these, these products and this sort of approach to sound design is something that you, you sort of nostalgic for from, from the influence from dance hall and stuff in flex dance music? Yeah, uh, a lot of a lot of the old '90s dancehall songs were kind of like the, like you know how in Jungle they have these breaks that are like iconic breaks. Yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, like and, the the Almond Break and stuff. Yeah. So in FDM, there was like these breaks that you would use for like a lot of the tracks as like these as the baseline, and it's a lot of old school production. A lot of the production from War Twenty One, which is like a big dance hall group, they they influenced the the sound of FDM, and we started using those as like the guidelines, and then creating our own patterns and our own sounds. And a lot of people have their own flows. Like there's so many different FDM producers, and everybody attacks it different. That's what makes it cool and fun, and and the dancers know which which artists they want to hear music from. But me, I'm I'm not a dancer. I'm not yeah. a dancer. And I'm also I'm not um I'm not Caribbean. But growing up in Brooklyn, there's so many like different Caribbean cultures. Um so you know as a child I always heard all of these things. So for me a lot of it came from what I what I known already, which was this these old school dance hall songs. So for me, I, I I really like I sought out for those sounds because it it stayed true to my childhood. And we're we're sort of doing the same in like a very different pocket. Like we we said about last week, we've been chasing down this this thing called a rockman. We we grew up on like seventies um, and eighties classic rock music. That's what really I don't know why, but that's what really got us and what really captured our attention and we've been doing a similar thing but with sort of a different a different genre and a different set of equipment but I do think like when you can chase down one of those things or or, or even just discover that they used this particular sound or this particular instrument you can go well is there any virtual recreations or can I get my hands on the real thing and Mm -hmm. it sort of spares you on like when you're making a genre of music it's fascinating to feel like you're getting closer to what your heroes are doing but at the same time the tracks like in in the uh, flex dance music scene also hit really really hard like they're they're punchy tracks like they've got that too yeah they've got that modern production edge to them as well yeah that that's that's because um you know, being from from New York is a lot of hip hop influences. So, you know, hip hop is known for things to be like punchy and heavy. So, it's still staying true to the sounds that that we know and love, and it, and it it creates that that interesting blend because dancehall. You know, it obviously it came from the the Caribbean, but us being from New York, that like and hearing those sounds. Although we may not be from the Caribbean, we may not have that like original like I guess essence of dance hall. Our recreation of it and the blends that that we are surrounded by creates this whole new thing that that um it, it just 
it, I don't know. It just it just creates this energy. It feels um, like more more than the sum of its parts. It, it evolves almost. Like yeah. everybody who makes it, it evolves one step from where it was because everybody interprets music differently. And then yeah. you, you take those influences and then you regurgitate it out into something that's almost different but rooted in the same style. Coming from the same place, but it, yeah. it has its own sort of characteristics that maybe in your mind it's like... This sounds exactly like these old influences, but in reality, if somebody else were to listen to it, they're, they're hearing all this new sort of sound work and, and like, head, like, like say about punchy mixing, because when you go back and listen to older music, a lot of it isn't super punchy. It's, it's quite dynamic. It's quite soft sometimes, even when it's not meant to be, because the technology has evolved so much. You can really push music in, into people's faces now with with like the technology so i find yeah. that's fascinating in itself yeah it, it kind of like when i think of fdm the closest thing i can think of is is jungle um it's it's they had the same similar um like uh, i guess upbringing like they both stem from like dance hall yeah but but just the 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 music and the influence of just london or just uh, the UK, you know, created this this whole new like type of dance hall, and and I didn't I didn't really know about Jungle uh, when I started making FDM, but like a couple years later, I I started listening to it, and it was really like the the way they chop up the vocals and and the drums are like the most prominent things, the drums and the bass. Um, yeah, it just it just. It was it was kind of mind blowing. It made me want to dig deeper into jungle, and it act, learning more stuff about jungle actually gave me more insight on old school dance hall and and what they were doing, and it just like it just came full circle. Yeah, and like you go like like you said when you find those sounds that you've heard growing up, it's like it's just like this like I don't know like this Heaven's Gate moment. It's like wow, like an, I really an found <laughs> Yeah, it's crazy, and I, I I heard when I found you guys on on reasons, uh, just listening to the demos, I was just like, no, right right away, these these are the sounds I'm looking for. Yeah, which is and that and that's how we actually like connected is is through um, reason reason studios door for making music, because um, we do like refills for anybody who who doesn't know which is like sound packs and we have some of these like units that obviously you're you're really influenced by and it's it's really great to sort of see how these things when when we bought um say like these these units particularly like the orbit we didn't really know what it was used for we we sort of found them you you actually looked for them specifically didn't you Mark? so the the way i discovered emu as a brand was we was watching a Jay-Z classic albums because the classic album series, a documentary series is fantastic. And there was this bright pink, purple rack synth in behind DJ Premier when he was talking. And I paused the TV and went, what, what is that? And I, all I could read was Planet Fat. So I go on eBay, I type Planet Fat and I go, okay, so these are synthesizers. And I just start, I'm just enthralled by, you know, the, just the full look of the rap. Uh, not rap, sorry. The, the rap. The, the rack. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, we don't make hip-hop music, right? So really, 
for me to be looking at this rack to buy anyway, it's not really in our ballpark, but I just thought the sounds and that, you know, it was all like P-Funk demos when I listened to it. I thought these are really cool units and they do a massive amount of stuff. So we got the Planet Fat and then slowly we got the Orbit and the Carnival and we had like the three emu racks. That was your goal after discovering there was threes. You yeah, went, three you, coloured ones. to have them all. I, so I was like going for these three coloured ones that are like a matching set really. But um, I just thought they looked cool and then the sounds were really cool and I th- felt like there was very easy to use like for rack synthesizers. Some of them can be very like tough to navigate. but Like, actually, like giant calculators. Like, yeah, a bit like a giant calculator. But um, the, the emu ones are really easy to use. And then then obviously when we started doing sampling, I said to Peter, I don't see anybody talking or using or, or, or doing packs with these. There's a few like digital sound factory and stuff. They, they seemed very yeah. uncommon. When you think about your Oberheims and your Moogs and your Profits where they you can take your pick of any brand's or version of them. for example. There's hundreds yeah. and hundreds of 808 sample packs, but not very many of like this style of synths like the emu ones and that's what i said to peter maybe we should do like a rompler series of those three racks sort of to share or or to preserve maybe even the the history of these racks where there's not a lot in the digital domain like available of them and that's that's really what led led to it in the yeah. first place yeah they're, they're pretty good i mean i i've been on a hunt and i found like the digital factory uh, recreations, but I found that they they still kind of had like this uh, this weird conversion sound. Yeah. So I I didn't really like to use them, and they they have them in like sound fonts, and sound fonts don't really have the best quality. But right, soon right. as I heard soon as I heard the romplers, I was like, yeah, this is perfect. And then the 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 Kong drums, everything is just it was just set up like I I, I couldn't believe. It. I thought I was dreaming. We we did talk about like because from what you said about the digital sound factory ones, I haven't actually tried them, but I think that the actual the way the interface is on the computer is almost too similar to the rack synths because we, we we talk about them like they are giant calculators almost. They have push button displays and they're not very flexible in certain aspects. So what we tried to do when porting them into like reason and using them with Kongs, we thought, well, how would people want to use them? Or, or how can we just make that sound accessible in this workflow, particularly with things like the Kong, where you can say the kits that we've sampled, most of them aren't in that form factor. Then they're not necessarily uh, 16 um, sounds per kit, but we just sort of tried to figure out how to lay them out in a manner that that felt like that's how the how, that's how there was supposed to be. And also on the actual rack units, just finding the kick and snare oh. is a nightmare on yeah. most of the banks of drums. You're and just it, going, where, where are the kick and snare? I cannot find them. And, and the move. So if you're playing them with a, triggering them with a MIDI keyboard, the kick and the snare will often move per patch. So, you know, say if you had a programmed beat in say Ableton or something and you were sending it externally to one of these units every time you change the sound you'd need to readjust the beat because all the MIDI would be going to the wrong channels because they're sort of even though you have what you call uh, general MIDI GM templates these sort of do whatever they want so it leaves you doing a lot more programming than music making which is not what any of us want to do is it we want to make music fast and and good 
Yeah, I'm trying to just jump right into it. Soon as soon as I'm I'm looking for the sounds, especially like I saw it on FL Studio. So in FL Studio, you don't really need to worry about like um putting drums in, in a certain MIDI because you just make separate channels. But once I started using Ableton and Reasons, they have the drum racks and the and the Kong drums. It makes it so much easier to just cycle through different kits while you're while you're producing, so that way you can have all these different ideas. So you guys organizing that made it so easy for me to just cycle through and like, okay, this kit sounds amazing, but let me try something else. Or sometimes just layering is easy because I can just duplicate and then switch the preset. Same same areas, same sound, same style of sounds. It's perfect. Oh, we, we really appreciate that. And... Um... Speaking of, you, you say you use Ableton and Reason. Do you tend to use Reason as the um, the the new rack plugin version in Ableton? So you use Ableton for your sequencing and Reason as like the sound modules at the moment. Yeah, um, I actually don't know how to use Reasons like as a standalone as a door. Yeah, it is tough. Yeah. I, Pete is really good that, at it, but I I struggle a little bit with Ableton. Well, I struggle a lot with Ableton and a little bit with Reason. Cubase is what I so typically we, use. We went to a music college, Hull Hull College uh, in England, and um, a lot of people I thought in our class were scared of Reason because they had they had like um, Ableton, Cubase, Pro Tools, uh, Pro Tools Reason. And logic, lo- logic. I was going to yeah. say they must have mm. had logic somewhere, and everybody sort of gravitated either towards Pro Tools or Ableton because obviously Ableton, Ableton's like one of the first choices I think for most people. But then Pro mm. Tools, because a lot of people was doing like rock music and bands, Pro Tools is the obvious choice. But people sort of looked at Reason and, and was a bit intimidated by it because of the hardware interface of it and everything. And it didn't record audio either on that at, specific version. At the time, yes, this will be Cuba, uh, Reason 5. So it didn't actually yeah. do audio recording yet. It didn't do that, I think, till... Or oh, I might be eight wrong. or something. No, seven I think it was seven. It could have been six, though. But it was it was later on that they did audio into it. But, um, yeah, the sequencer. Uh, I, I really like Reason. I make um, a lot of synthwave just purely in Reason as a door. Mm. But it took me a bit of practice. And I think it looks scarier than it is, I think, sometimes. <laughs> no, I actually think Reason is, is an amazing DAW. Um, before, before I started producing, I ran into someone and they were using Reason and that's what kind of caught my eye of like making music. I was like, "Oh, this is this seems dope. Like, I want to try." And they kind of laughed at me, and they were like, um, "Yo, you're not serious. You don't want to do it." Um, they was like, "You should try. You should try this other program called FL Studio." So that's what I actually started with. So like yeah. most of the songs you've heard that were like from like I say 2017 and and um, back. Is on FL Studio. Okie doke, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, but I like reason. Like now that I'm getting into like Sims and and just like going backwards in time instead of like going for like the craziest new plugin, like whatever, whatever is like closer to like that vintage sound. Yeah. The more I, the more I go on that path, like reasons they kind of have all those sounds that I'm looking for, if not in a refill. Um, a lot of times, just in the the factory sounds, like the factory Kong drums are are very good. 
um, and all of the 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 effects, everything that comes in reasons is like what you need to just get a song done, and then you can just you can add the other things on top. So now that I can use it as a rack, uh, a rack VST, it makes it easier for me to like do get the old school sound that I'm looking for, but then also process it with the new effects and chains. I completely agree when you say that Reason has like the best factory sound bank. Like when when I compared them all or, you know, we, we use quite a lot of different doors. Reason has the sort of visual appeal if you're if you're thinking like about retro aesthetics and, and hardware, but mm-hmm. the sounds do not miss like the the factory sound bank is incredible. And the what the stock plugins or, or what the stock like rack extensions can do is phenomenal like i what when when i really took a deep dive into europa i was i was blown away by how versatile it was and i'm like that's yeah. that's just a stock plugin it's 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 great because i think yeah. with a lot of doors you tend to not use the stuff that they give you with the door because you're like well that's what came for free and i need to get external plugins and then instruments and that's sort of like just what a lot of people do with I th- doors i think that's the the um sort of music producer um, gear acquisition syndrome part that comes in where you're like, well, I've got, say, Ableton, but I need I need native instruments now. I need I need complete and you get complete. <laughs> and you're like, I need this other thing. And it's like, well, you, you, you don't really need it, but sometimes it's nice to have it. <laughs> yeah, it's true. But, and I also, I don't really know a lot of music theory. I I'm not like, trained in music in any kind of way i don't play any instrument i kind of just go with my feeling and um, i try to get a lot of tools that will help me get my ideas out like i love the launch pad because i can just lock in a scale and just and just go so i can kind of jam out without being tied to knowing uh exactly how to place my hand for these chords and what i like about reasons is they have a lot of these uh, MIDI out racks, like the beat map, which is crazy for just you. I use like beat map for like percussional stuff, or I'll use the the chord generator just just to come up with ideas. It's it's so much in reason, and I and just the other day I opened it up. I was like, I'm gonna learn it, and then I was like. It's too much. <laughs> there's a lot. There's a lot in there. Yeah, it's quite interesting because I'm compositionally. I'm more with you because I I play drums, but obviously drums don't doesn't give you a lot of music theory knowledge when it comes to scales and chords. So I definitely struggle a lot more with like music theory, playing in key and all that on the keyboard. When you're trying to write an idea, I find it really difficult. But since Peter plays guitar, he as he's just memorized all I, the keys I and memorized stuff. all the music theory well which, not all of it but see, I, I memorized a good chunk of it which which, which makes me. me when i'm sat on on the keyboard trying to write something i i get really annoyed with peter because he's just like oh yeah you're using this chord progression in this key and i'm like well i'm just figuring it out basically is is like i i'm very much doing what you're doing where you're trying to find a vibe and then you go, yeah, no, I, I like this. And you're just trying to create something. You don't really understand sometimes what exactly you've done. And then Peter will come in and just be like, yeah, you've done that. And I'll be like, oh, great. I'm not a music theory rain man or anything, but I, I do. <laughs> I have, I've put my time in with music theory. So I, I know, I know 
a good chunk, which which helps me out. But I don't think that it's something that's necessary to make music. I actually think sometimes knowing too much theory can be like a crux because yeah. you might listen to an idea and go, well, that's that's this chord progression and this chord progression is the same as that song. I, I'll say, Peter, that sounds amazing. Let's make that into an idea. And he'll go, oh, well, it's just a normal chord progression and not or, even or one, <laughs> one that I overuse. But the thing is, it's not about the chords because we know all all the songs use the same chords. There's only 12 notes. But when, when you've got theory, you might identify that you're using the same chord progression in different keys maybe. And then that might put you off using it. But you might be able to use that chord progression over and over again like a lot of artists do and keep getting different songs because it's it's not necessarily the notes it's it's how you use them isn't it yeah that's true what i've what i've learned um on my hunt for all these old classic sounds um especially doing dancehall dancehall especially in the 90s didn't it wasn't a lot of chords being played it was more these like top melodies or leads. Yeah. Um, so a lot of times when I'm working on on these ideas, the lack of like music theory, it it doesn't really matter because I could just like, you know, do a one one or two chords. And then especially stuff like like using hits. Like a lot of songs from back in the day was like just these hit sounds with like some kind of melodic tone surrounding it. But it just sounded so big through like processing and all that. So I'm learning how to like think very minimal yes and just and just affect more and create all of these these cool chains i think the the hits thing and using say a sampler like you, you take a chord maybe like normally it'll be something like a major seventh or a minor seventh and then you you play that with say a sampler as, as you're talking about and it, it can move but it's it creates um i'm not sure if you're familiar but it creates something called parallel chords and so mm. that chord doesn't it doesn't change with the scale or the key or anything but that has a sound in itself it's a sound that a lot of people and say like house music and stuff as well that's a very desirable sound but it's not necessarily a sound that would have came from music theory because really it's breaking all the rules in a certain regard yeah because it's out of scale right yeah 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 all all the and you wouldn't be able to play it on a piano, really, in the inversions that it's in. It wouldn't be the... very natural to play on a piano, I wouldn't have thought, because every chord would be... I mean, maybe if you're playing in in C, where it's all white keys, but on every, a lot of the other chords, I imagine it'd get quite uh, intense on the old hands. Mm -hmm. So you, you was involved, or you are involved, with a um, label slash uh, scene called Swing Ting, could you could you elaborate on that? Yeah. Um, so Swing Ting, they they well then uh, they disbanded, but it was a label based in Manchester. Yeah. Um, it kind of came about when, like in twenty sixteen, me and the other pioneers of FDM, we did a show for Boiler Room. Yeah. And. It kind of it kind of went crazy after after that show. A lot of people just started like reaching out and hitting us up. And there was a, a producing artist named Florentino that was really into my project that I had self released on like SoundCloud and Bandcamp. And he was like, "I think these guys at, at Swing Ting would really love to like hear your music and put a project out with you." 
and he sent it over and they they loved it and uh we just built a good relationship and they really helped me out understanding like how to work with labels because before then I would just do all like self-release stuff or I would just produce a track that that would get placed with an artist but it wasn't for me as an artist yeah yeah because the, the thing with England as well is it's it's very small um definitely if, if especially if you're coming from like an American mindset it's a very small place but you don't have to go far to have like a radically different sort of scene emerge and so like Manchester I, I know that I've been there quite a few times and it's a really like big music city I would have thought or I would have said from from being there but it's it's like again we're, we're sort of at the other side we're in Hull and it's it's very different so I think it's fascinating to to hear about these scenes that say like I didn't realize that that was a thing going on un until I've spoken to you. Yeah, I didn't even, I mean, you you guys have, like it may be small, but you guys have that uh, club culture Yeah. In, in the UK. We don't really have that kind of, like, there's like club culture and there's like underground culture, but it doesn't really spread the same way I feel like it does in the UK. So um, I was completely unaware of the whole the whole UK scene and love for music until they reached out. So yeah. even you not knowing, you still you still knew a lot more than me. Yeah, yeah. Well, because um, sort of that like flex dance music and and dance hall. Uh, dance hall is definitely a term that I've I've heard a lot of whilst being at college because. Um, because of the influences and and say the tutors we had, some of them were very mm -hmm. uh, into stuff like dancehall because they they're sort of like getting into that music historian sort of mindset when they're they're teaching. But um, I know scenes like say the the UK drum and bass scene and house scene and like you say the club scene uh, in different different cities and different sort of pockets is really creative and it goes very far considering how small England is on a map, like compared to a lot of other countries. And there's also a, a mainstream element to most of those uh, club scenes as well. Yes. Like Radio One's very big with drum and bass, and it's, which is sort of like in tandem with jungle really is drum and bass a lot of the yeah, time. Yeah, it's, it's sort of like an, an offshoot or yeah. evolution of, of jungle, I, mm. I believe. And then obviously the house, the house culture is massive in yeah. England, mainstream yeah, yeah. and like underground. So yeah. Yeah, I do feel like dance music is the most popular genre in the UK. It didn't used to be, but it de I feel like it it definitely oh, it is, is now. One hundred percent is now, yeah. And uh, like you say, even where we are, we're we're in um, a smaller or a large town, smaller city, however you want to describe it. But if you go into the town centre, there is like clubs for days. There's just and and every like what we would call a pub, every pub is sort of like got their club thing yeah. going and it's it's all it's all what's going on out there now part. like what's the what's the scene now um i i would say that um S slap house is still quite big yeah uh drum and bass in the uk i feel like it's really it's it's still building and getting bigger and bigger and it's that's not saying that it's not already popular but yeah, i yeah. do feel like it just keeps 
Yeah, like Dimension, Subfocus, all those, they're just everywhere. They're yeah. so popular for, for what you would think is like a niche genre. And I feel like a lot a lot of the festivals are, are drum and bass sort of leaning when they're doing the dance stuff, but House house as well is, is still nice. very popular. So I would really say the two, in, from, from my, what I've been exposed to, the two biggest sort of dance genres is like house, like deep house and stuff. And, and really this drum and bass, this popular drum and bass stuff that's coming through. Yeah, yeah. It's sort of like got an, e, an EDM sort of tinged drum and bass, isn't it? For for some of the, like Subfocus is more it, in that It's range. sort of gone less sample based as drum and bass and more uh, like mm. synth based, which I feel is odd because drum and bass, like when you think, you, like you was talking about this, it, it stems from mm-hmm. breaks and break beats. But recently, they're they're more. I feel like they're just programming quite a lot of it, which is an interesting development. But it it works really well. And when I say that, I'm talking about people like Metric and Dimension. I'm not saying they don't use breaks at all, but instead of it being break focused, it definitely feels like it's more programmed and just all in in the sequence essentially. Ah, uh, I'm not I'm not really um, too familiar with all the drum and bass. Styles. I know it's like a lot of subgenres. Yeah, there's, but, there's uh, tons. <laughs> I I really like liquid drum and bass. Yes, I, I think like that's liquid. like my favorite. Yeah, I, I've always gravitated towards liquid drum and bass over the others. We've got a friend who really loves jump up, and it's just um, it's sort of a little like drum and bass meets <laughs> dubstep. Yeah. Sort of like that. That's what jump up is, but liquid. It's not not soothing, but it's more in that like you can just put it on, relax, it's smoother. It's smooth. You can just listen to it all day. And I, I've always liked the the liquid side of drum and bass. Yeah, it's like a I don't know, kind of it's like R and B to me, and like it's like R and B and drum and bass. And I and I, I love ethereal sounds, like just sounds that 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 just sounds like you're in space. I'm 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 heavy on like space and like sci-fi so once i once i like find genres that have that same like ethereal feeling um it just automatically grabs me and i feel like that etherealness right this is one of the reasons why i'm always looking for these rack synths because these ethereal pads that you often hear in like liquid drum and bass that they are on software plugins and they're all over the place of pads but the some of the rack synths that we've got, like the Romplers, uh, they they just seem to have banks and banks of these swelling and evolving pads that you just go, where where is like the synths that do this? They're they're so unique sounding, and all of them have a different personality. So like a lot of people are inspired by game soundtracks, aren't they? Like you you love Wipeout, don't you, Mark? Yeah, Wipeout is the the game and like I say I, I grew up on Wipeout Burnout I love Burnout 3 Takedown and that was more like a punk rock song oh yeah I love Burnout but that that game was so good um, and yeah just general racing games have always been about the music because obviously you're going forward and they need music otherwise the game would be boring like Forza has a big drum and bass soundtrack and other things it's all a music festival on Forza Horizon but yeah yeah, Need for Speed. Need yeah, Speed. Yeah, I've been playing oh, the new one actually. I remember <laughs> the uh, Need for Speed Underground Two with Riders of the Storm by the Doors on. Every time you went into the menus, you yeah. like, yeah, Riders but, of the oh, yeah. Storm. That was one of my favorite ones, also. 
I remember waking up um, when I was a kid and and playing. Uh, I had Streets of Rage two, and I would just. I would just turn it on and, and soon as you turn it on there's like that intro sequence where it's like telling you the, the backstory but the music playing behind it is just it's just smooth and it's the first time I really heard like these, these smooth like mellow kind of like hip hop vibes uh, on a video game and they, they use these 8-bit sounds but there's like a whole drum beat going on behind it and I'm like yeah this is, I don't know back then I, I, was, I was a kid so I didn't know I really wanted to do music but I just was always into the way things sound. Yeah. It's crazy because I was also probably like two days ago looking up like how to make sounds that are close to like Final Fantasy because I really love the Final Fantasy soundtrack. I, f- I feel like video games are the key too. Like video games, it some people don't really pay attention to the music, but it's, it's definitely a part of what draws you in. Like people, if you played Sonic or, or Mario as a kid, uh, on a Sega or a Nintendo, you know the songs. Even if you if you're not like fully fully paying attention to it, when those songs come on, you already know. Okay, this is Mario. This is Sonic. When you're growing up listening to all that type of music, it affects you. When you start making music, um, it makes you want to chase that sound. And that's sort of where I started looking into these romplers and sound designs because it's all ethereal keys on all those units and that's the sound that you struggle to find sometimes and and that's just what brought me to it as well yeah like like um with synthwave as well there's a full subset called outrun and that's based off the sega game i believe it's a sega game called outrun and it's literally like you got people like miami nights 1984 um and they're basically like just making game soundtracks essentially for games that don't exist. I mean, there's an artist in the synthwave scene as well called Mitch Murder, and he literally packages them like they're the games, but that then there was never games. So he just like pretend soundtracks almost. The other thing is that we only discovered what synthwave was because we played a game called Tracksmania Turbo and there was a Mitch Murder song on Mad Decent Records Yeah, uh, on that game called Breeze. And I said to Peter, what is this song? It's everything I want in like electronic music, but I, I couldn't put my finger at, on it. At the time, I'd, I'd just started trying to make electronic music and I was using like hashtags, like, because I was making this 80s influence stuff. I was using like hashtag 80s EDM. And I was like, nah, this isn't working, is it? Because what's 80s EDM? That doesn't make sense. And then we found this thing called Synthwave. It was like, oh my God, that's the thing I'm trying to make, but I didn't know it existed. <laughs> Honestly, yep. they, they refined it a bit more so I could listen to it and go, okay, so that's that's more where I need to be going. But, you know, I was sat here trying to make something, this, <laughs> this 80s, like, modern dance music, a, a combination of, and I didn't realise that there was a full scene of people doing that. And some of which, um, one of my favourite synthwave artists is called Future Cop, and he is a Manchester-based producer. And I was like, What? Well, this where this stuff was out here the full time, and I didn't know. That's crazy. I, I, I honestly, I'm, I love synthwave. I started getting into synthwave probably about, uh, honestly, like a year or two ago. Yeah. Uh, just just doing research, and I'm and I'm constantly finding these like these genres that are influenced by the '80s and '90s. And when I found synthwave, I think I started looking for it when I got into 
Stranger Things. Yeah. But it wasn't until like probably the second season I was like, wait, no, I need to find more music like this. It's just it just had this like suspense. And I think that's like dark wave or yeah. I don't know the the um the subgenres too well. Um Yeah, dark dark but, wave's like the heavier, more brooding side of it. Yeah, I, I love dark sounds. Like I love ethereal sounds, but I love dark dramatic and and big sounds. So I started getting into synth wave and then I started learning about uh mid tempo or uh cyberpunk. Yeah, cyberpunk uh, 77. I, I think, 2077? Yeah, I think I think the game sort of catapulted the music up to like more way bigger than it had ever been it, because it, I feel like the the synthwave sort of bleeds a little bit into cyberpunk and there's I feel like there's almost more cyberpunk music coming out now than there is synthwave in a way. Yeah, it it, it feels like a like a futuristic synthwave. Yeah. Uh but just the the sounds, the the toms, like a lot of those things influence my music now. Before I would just kind of like just randomly stumble upon sounds and be like, okay, this sounds cool. But now like a lot of synth wave, lo-fi, like a lot of those textured sounds or like, uh, I don't know what kind of reverb they, like you throw on the toms to get them to sound so like rich and full and synth wave, but it just, it just brings so much energy and when you're trying these techniques on different genres, it, it creates something beautiful and amazing. So there, there, that, the, there is a trick to the Tom thing, which I can I can tell you. It is, you, you select your reverb, whichever one. It, the reverb isn't as important, although I think plates, halls will work great. The key is to put a gate on after the reverb. So you, you get the reverb, but then you put a compressor on and just really squish it all together. So you get that really, really in-your-face tom sound. Then you get a really bloated, like, in-your-face reverb, and it just stops, as as you would imagine. Ah. So like uh, that's very similar to the Phil Collins, the classic In the Air Tonight drum fill. That's the technique he uses on that, and that's where it sort of comes from, because I think that was one of the main recordings that that... that like started that as a trend. Yeah, that's that that sound is just amazing. It just especially as a transition, it just makes the next section feel so much bigger. I I always like to do a clap on the uh, last like on the last four in the bar or or like the the last sixteenth note, like to transition in before the next bar starts, like when I'm changing section. That's something that I think is really unusual, but it's sort of you hear like that clap like with the snare and it, you wash it out with reverb and it just, you, your brain's going, yeah, what's next? What's the next part of the song? Cause you know, it's coming when you hear that. Mm -hmm. I'm going to take some classes from you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I mean, you, you guys sound like, like the two genres. I know, you, I know you do, uh, you do synth wave and drum and bass. Those are like the genres that I'm into. And, and it's crazy how like we all kind of, get tied back into the same similar sounds yeah. that we're finding. And it just shows you that like, you know, you know it, back in the day when all these sounds were popular, everybody were grabbing them, but just where you were and, and the things you were influenced by, it changed like drastically. Like a lot of times, like I, I followed this guy on Instagram, his name was um, 
Blue Wave and his I think it's Blue Wave Steel. Yeah. His Instagram is just it's like literally just like showing you iconic sounds. So like it'll be like a uh old Pharrell song and he'll and he'll show you like they use the Triton for this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll have to check and then that like, out. Yeah, and what's and what's cool is I think you were talking about it before, like there's a lot of like these recreation plugins. So like of course Pharrell actually had a Triton, but now Korg has a Triton plugin. Yes, they do. So yes. that's why, you know, circling back, you guys making these emu these emu romplers are perfect because you can't find them and they have so much like iconic sounds. And yeah, they, they were in like a lot of hip hop stuff, but um certain sounds I'm hearing they were they were in like drum and bass records. Yeah. And yeah. these different like sounds that were coming out in the nineties and you can't find them anywhere. And even the the units are becoming harder now because I I think gear is just becoming popular again. And they're it's getting more and more expensive, gear. aren't they? I, I bought the Carnival for eighty pound on eBay, and now I'm seeing it for four hundred and fifty sometimes on eBay. Crazy. And I'm like, I, that was a great investment from me to buy that because I didn't know how much that price was going to skyrocket in like three or four years. All you knew is that it was rare. You All I knew it was else. rare. And I just thought, right, there's one, 80 quid, I'll, I'll have it. And now I'm so glad I bought it because they, they only come up like once every few months, you will have the chance to bid on one. Yeah. I think just nostalgia is just, it's coming back like very strong. I do, I do video as well. And, and all these like vintage anamorphic lenses and, yeah. and filters, everyone wants to get back to the, that, that, uh, I think it's rough around the edges texture in all in all forms like in fashion it's just it's coming back so you know a lot of times like me I'm I'm not I'm not one to like hold on to things so like I'll I'll like buy a keyboard and then like next year I'll be like okay I'm done and I'll go sell it but now it's just showing me more value and and what what I get now because who knows like you know, VSTs or just a format might be done in the next couple of years and you can't find these plugins. You have to use these old laptops that we're on now. That's yeah. be it's old a very, to use very it. valid point though because you have companies like Native Instruments, they discontinued Absinthe, I'm yes. right in thinking, yeah. uh, very yeah. recently. So unless you already have it, it's going to be a lot, lot harder to buy. And then if, if they change the operating system or whatever it might be difficult to actually install it without running like backwards compatibility stuff. You're at the mercy, a bit yeah. like with modern gaming now, you're at the mercy of the developer and if they want to pull it, you can't buy it anymore. Whereas and if you've got it physically, they can never pry it out of your hands. Yeah. That's the difference yeah. as well. Yeah, and a lot of stuff now, I think like they're discontinuing VST2s altogether. So Are they? The that's, I, I think that sounds about right because I... I you know, every every time you get a, a plug-in, like I've been installing some baby audio stuff and it's mm. like, do you want the VST2s and the VST3s? And I'm like, well, surely I only need the VST3 now, right? Because everything everything does VST3 now, as far as yeah. I'm aware. But a lot, a, lot of, a lot of companies are not even making VST2s anymore. Yeah, I see why. They're, they're, they're recreating this new, or not recreating, but they're creating this new format called Clap. I've heard, I've read uh, about it actually. Yeah. 
I, I don't yeah. know that the in the ins and outs. I've never of it. heard of it until I've, right now. I've, I know I've, I've I've read about it. I can't remember which company it is, but um, yes, I, I know. Yuhi, I know the format you're talking about. Uh, Yuhi Yuhi created it in, yes. in association with Bitwig. Yeah. Uh, they they created this new format. It's supposed to be like uh, smoother, uh, crashes less. Now they always say these things. Yeah. Um, but it's supposed to be like the better format now. And then I seen this company that's making, uh, I think it's like plugins that runs on GPU. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, so you can get which more. Which I'm in. I'm in for more power. Yeah, I I need that because you know you buy these like powerful Macs and stuff, and then you, you're still trying to open up like Analog Lab, and it takes like forever to load up, and because of the the way they, they want the GUI to look, it, it runs and like I open up Analog Lab and it takes takes up like fifteen percent of my CPU with just one. So imagine if I'm trying to open up three or four. And then you've got to render the full session after you yeah. finally get going. That's the worst part. You go, right, now I'm finally getting into it and then you like the computer's freezing and it's stopping and starting. Yeah. It's like right, I've got to render it all I, into audio. I think most producers have a lot more like RAM and, and CPU and GPU than then you think you should, but yet you always feel like like if you're putting a lot of tracks in or you're putting a lot of plugins on, it doesn't take much before. I mean, our computer, I, I, we always say it wants to die, don't we, man? Yeah, because yeah, it really does. We're, we're putting so many plugins on sometimes, or you know, like say if we're making a demo for for one of the romplers, you've got to have like, like forty tracks, of- forty instances of that rompler up to do it, and it, it's like, well, you know can you stop? And you're like, well, no, because you say you have unlimited tracks and yet I put 40 tracks down and you don't want to play anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, Romplers are, are much easier on a CPU. That's why like, I started dialing back on like using the wavetable synths that, that as soon as you open up a wavetable synth is like just doing the most. But Romplers, they're, they're just, just wave shots. So yeah. it's not really taking up a lot of the CPU power. And you could just like stack up. So if you have like a if you have a good computer, Romplers, you could throw like a hundred on them. Yeah, and it's it's not doing all of the the rendering like like you say on a lot of the other synths where it's got this full uh, virtual analog engine that it's trying to like replicate. It's just like no, this is a sample and it's going to play back the same every time, or it's going to round robin every time, and it's not. It's playing. It's not generating. I, I suppose that's the yeah. difference from a a processing standpoint. Yeah, and then I think that also like I'm not a I'm not a printer like I hate printing my tracks because I don't know if I want to go back. Yeah, and everyone's like just just flatten it, just commit. But I'm like no, so yeah. um, it's hard for me uh, to print, and that's another reason why I started learning my factory sounds and learning how to use. Okay, what does Ableton have? What does Reason have? Because those sounds tend to take up less CPU um, because they kind of, I guess, built built it to be just already functional in the DAW. Yeah, the, the, um, the stock plugins tend to run better because they've they've tested them for that. Uh, particularly in Ableton, I know Ableton, if you're just using the stock plugins, it, it runs really good for the most part, no matter how much yeah. you, you throw at it because it's it's designed to, in in it, in the simplest sort of way possible, you think, oh yeah, it's obvious, but then you think, well, you know, also comp, complete is designed to run in like these doors so why why didn't that run as mm-hmm. good but it's all that sort yeah. of thing isn't it 
Yeah. And that, and I mean, that's another reason why I like reason because reason gives you, it kind of gives you that hardware feeling. I mean, that's the whole, that's the whole idea, right? For yeah. you to have an, a hardware based doll, but it, it, it shows you a lot more with the, how to like set up your racks, but the, the plugins are so good. And I always tell people like spend time and learn your doll before you like go out and spend money because yeah. a lot of times you'll, you'll find that you'll have those sounds. Like honestly, and, and especially with the, with the refills and the racks, it's, it's, it's amazing because you're buying refills, but these refills are still made out of the basic things that is in reasons already. Yeah. So you're making like the, the combinators and stuff, but it's, it's the stuff that you already have. Someone just took time to put it together for you. Yeah. But you can, you can make it. Yeah. Like, like hundred percent, like all, all the effects in, in most refills, uh, stuff you already have. Like the, the only thing that changes is somebody might've changed the sample, but that, that is it. And I mean, if you have drum machines and stuff at home, you can just sample them drum machines. And the thing is, is it, it takes a lot of time, but you can do it if you have sounds that like you love. You can just mm -hmm. com commit them all down to audio and, and then just use the tools you already have. Yeah. So that's like when I'm, when I'm sound designing or if I'm working on like certain sounds, uh, like I try to find, I try to find hardware that has like endless encoders or um, like certain like automatic faders because I get to feel like I'm actually using yeah. the hardware with endless encoders. Like, you know, you have just a regular coder, encoder that has a stop limit. You don't really know. But then with the endless encoders, it kind of like uh, attaches to, the, to whatever you're turning and you're like there with it. So I, I, when I'm teaching people, I'm like, you know, using, use, these, use these sounds and effects like pedals or yes. like, these, like rack mounts because, you know, this is our times pedals. So now I'm I'm like feeling and you're understanding and you're you're learning what decay does or pre-delay. You're learning how to like create these effects and it becomes part of your style, becomes a part of your character because everyone's like, I wanna make this, I wanna make that. But if I teach someone how to make music, I'm just teaching you how to like get your ideas out. I'm not gonna tell you you make dance hall, make house, whatever you hear in your head, make it, but you have to learn how to like how to be true to yourself because with all these videos now they're they're very do this, do this, do that, and that's how you get an industry placement yeah, but it's as you say, it's more about how do you take that sound in your head and and get it out that's what it's about it's not about mimicking or, or doing what these these influencers necessarily say it's more about. The, the discipline of, of sort of teaching yourself how to take that idea and put it down. And, and that's, that's the first step. And mm -hmm. I think that's the thing that can be most challenging for people at the same time. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot of like, the industry does a lot of like uh, dangling, like fame in your face. And there's not a lot of like, I mean, even even why it's hard to get the information now, there weren't a lot of people in the studio filming or or talking about these things. Yeah. So so a lot of times, uh, you have you have these new producers that's just chasing the fame of, of what someone else has, and they don't really understand how how they can create something new. And I'm 
I was one of those people that I didn't know that I could make a genre or like just make a subgenre, just just create the ideas and and try them and see what works. I was just like making hip hop and R and B and then when I stumbled upon the dance scene, because I wasn't, like I said, I'm not a dancer, so I wasn't really like there all the time. I started dating a dancer and then I started seeing the world and, you know, trying those things. Even before, before like people knew me for making this, this style of music, uh, I was going on an alias as like a mortal instrument because I was like nervous of how people was going to react towards, you know, me trying this new thing. Yeah. And... And it's it's like a funny a funny story is my first time making the FDM, I I was too nervous to tell anybody, so I was under this alias, uh, a motor instruments, but I was filming for one of the dance events. And I remember um my partner at the time, they were in a battle, so I was like, You should dance to my song. Oh yeah. So so the second round of her battle she danced to my song and I remember people like like I'm in the crowd filming but there's like I'm I'm surrounded by people and people are like yo what is this this sounds this sounds crazy this sounds fire and I'm like I'm just like smiling behind the camera like okay okay people like it <laughs> yeah because you you know but they they don't that's the thing that's that's interesting in that scenario and I, I completely yeah. get where you're coming from because I I too like when I've been making synthwave I used an alias and I I didn't really connect it with myself because um i just felt like it was easier to just put it all down as like a, its own separate thing that's like that's a creation that i've made but it might not necessarily be me sometimes and mm-hmm. then i find a lot of people when they do that they sort of have this thing where they have to fight the thing they've created and themselves they have to find where's the middle ground like how do i become how do I make the thing that I've created, like this persona, this music, me, or how do I get closer to this persona? Because it gets to a point where you can be so disjointed, like your 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 persona is like not even you at a certain it's point. It's like Alice Cooper or even a more modern example, The Weeknd, where they are becoming the stage version of themselves, themselves. and they're not themselves yeah. anymore. It's like, I mean, Alice Cooper's name's Vincent, but if you say, hey, Alice, he'll turn around and say yeah and yeah i imagine it's like that with the weekend now people say oh it's the weekend it, like, it yeah, becomes you if that's if that's like an alias and that's like a name that you go by and i think that's that's an interesting psychological thing in itself because there's a disconnect between you and and the thing you've made yeah i mean honestly even even you guys doing the research and and finding out who i am and what i've done is like it's it's such a like crazy feeling because when I when I would like as a kid you know I was looking for names and I had and I had the name Epic like since I like started doing music but you know I, I typed in Epic Epic B on Google and they would be like Epic Failure Epic you know all these different things yeah, like yeah. that that you know didn't have anything to do with me or my music and I would always be like okay that's one of the goals of mine to just to like just for people to be able to find out who I am. Yeah. Um, and now, you know, you can do that. And it's just, it's unbelievable because, like, I would say doing hip hop and R&B and all that, it's fun. And I still do those things. I still make the, that music to this day. But 
uh, making FDM is so it's so free. It's so free, and, and sometimes I get lost in it because you know we don't we don't have too many influences other than the 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 sounds that you know we we were influenced by, which is dancehall. But we're still making something new, so it, it's that freedom of uh, being an artist that I never felt as a producer. That like now I can say, let me try this. Like let me try incorporating synthwave into my sound. And people will give me the chance to to hear it. Uh, it's it's just an amazing feeling. And you try to you know I try to tell people like just go for what you, go for what you feel. And and I see like how afraid they are to try something new. Um, I just wish I could like help show them or like you know just pass that feeling on like this this is how it feels when you when you just just you know fuck around just try yeah. some try some shit. <laughs> You're true when you're true to yourself, and and you just like like you said because you've pioneered this sort of genre, or you've helped. You, you're one of the pioneers of this genre. You sort of you're facing a lot less boundaries because you you as as a group in the Airflex dance music scene, you're the one setting them boundaries. And if you want to push them, it's a lot easier to push them because it's it's you know it's your scene if you know what i mean whereas in other scenes like you might be trying to push the boundaries and other people in that scene might be saying well that's not really what this is about but that yeah. might be a, a quite a negative mindset but you don't have to worry about that because you're just you're doing your own thing and and like you say it's it's freeing for you to just be able to to blend different genres together and, and fuse things without feeling like you know, there's a pressure not to do that. Yeah, I mean, the only only critics is the the dancers. The dancers like, nah, this one didn't hit. <laughs> yeah, as and it hurts. <laughs> if you do something that's like, yeah, that that doesn't translate to the dance floor, I can see how that can be the the main limitation. Like, you couldn't be, you couldn't, you can't really mess too much with time signatures. I would have thought. Yeah, you know, yeah. like you can't be doing like nine eighths and seven eighths and stuff, and having people going, I can't, I can't find you the can't one. Dance, How am I supposed to work. dance? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the one thing I would, I would suggest to anyone making dance music, especially because I, I know producers aren't the the most like party goers a lot of time, um, but if you're not gonna DJ, go out to the clubs because the dance floor will tell you. They will tell you how people feel about about the music. Yes, it definitely helps. Yeah, you sort of have that. You, you can see how it moves everybody. You know, it sounds corny, but it that that's the way. It's all vibration, isn't it? At, at the end of the day, and people move to the music, and that's how you know, like you say, that that it that people feel something. Whereas if everybody was sort of like, well, I don't really know what to do with this, then then maybe they're not actually feeling the music as much as they would something else. Yeah. The the dance floor is the is the is the main judge. If <laughs> if I play something if I play something and the dancer's not dancing or I see people like I see people like going to you know, going to the bathroom or this is the side, this is the time when they want to talk to their friends, I'm like, okay. Uh maybe maybe I gotta turn that bass up or something. <laughs> yeah, maybe something something needs a small tweak, yeah. Yeah. But you know, I mean, you know, also you have to trust yourself because, you know, you you may you may be trying to appeal to certain people or a certain sound, but this this track may not fit that, and sometimes you have to just trust that, like, okay, 
this this probably was for a different aspect and i'm i'm learning that a lot more with like doing other things you know i try i try to venture out like i i may not be like getting super sync placements but uh just just figuring out like the different sounds like it's a lot of times i'm watching a movie or like you're saying, like you're playing a game and you hear something and it may not be drum and bass or it may not be synth wave, but you can see how like, okay, what I make could fit in this video game. Yeah. So it, it, it gives you like, it gives you this sense of like, let me try something else. And, and you know, you just got to keep your ears open. Like it's so, it's so many things happen. As a musician, you got you to gotta be like open to different things. You got to be open to different genres, learning something new. And and like experimenting, it's it's very important. Even if you think you know and you have everything down packed, just go listen to something else. Like, and you can always take away something. Like, I may not like rock as much, but there's certain things that that is that's in rock that I love that like I probably wouldn't have heard in hip hop. But you can translate it. It's almost like how, like, to to go back to like the source of it, like Run DMC incorporating electric guitars into their music. That was something that at the time was like, wow, that that's that's like a, a almost like a culture clash. But it worked, and it it actually mm-hmm. did a lot for for music culture because it showed that these two things that that felt like they was on different sides. Of, of like the spectrum they could actually join together and you know it made like walk this way and and i know that run dmc have some other songs that incorporate a similar sort of sound set and it mm-hmm. shows that that worked even though on on paper maybe people didn't think it would but in reality that that clash of the two genres actually made something fresh and original because yeah. at the end of the day, music is just music, and everybody's trying to categorize and pull it apart and separate it, but it's just music. Yes, and anybody can enjoy any type of music. That's mm-hmm. that's the other thing that um, that sometimes labels love. To, well, just people in general, like even like Spotify playlists and that. It's, it's just easier to segment it all and name it all instead of just letting it be music. It's easy to describe something if you can give it like a name, like yeah. drum and bass or. Or like like what you're doing, it's easy to to sort of unify it as a thing when it has a name. I mean, I remember when I, I found the name synthwave, I was like, this makes sense. Like I can just look for it and I can find it because if you don't know yeah. how to describe something, it can be very difficult to find it. But them descriptors should be there to enable you to find the music and not necessarily to gatekeep what that music is. It's sort of a hard thing to describe, but it's yeah, the, yeah. the sentiments there. If yeah. You know what I mean? The, it, the genre should help you find what you're looking for, but it shouldn't be the be-all and end-all to what that thing is. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, got, it's like food. Like, you know, if you like, if you're eating a certain type of steak, you know, you should, you, you, you don't have to like make it this way all the time, but there's certain ingredients that's like in the recipe. And then you can, you know, maybe toss in some of this or toss in some of that. But just so you know, because I remember trying to find like more information on synthwave or vaporwave and I just had to figure out these words yeah. to to like know what to search up and you have to like you you kind of have to put your mind in this like rabbit hole state to to find anything sometimes 
You you do. Right. I, when I first got into synthwave, it was like it was like diving into the ocean. I was like, there's so <laughs> there's so much information, and there, there's no information at the same time. Like all of it was very underground. There was no there was no sort of mainstream information on it. And so you're sort of diving into the rabbit hole, but it's not a rabbit hole that you know. There's not a trail like with certain things like with classic rock there's a trail you can follow that leads you to bands like Led Zeppelin and stuff. But when you're looking at these underground new and, and, and the genres that are sort of born from the internet, like C-Punk and Vaporwave, you mm-hmm. sort of, you're going into the unknown because there, there isn't a path you can follow to find the people. It's more like, well, I've just got to start digging and, and hopefully, like, especially when you're on stuff like Bandcamp, it seems like an endless sort of, sea of of artists and and as you're discovering what one thing is you're getting pulled to the next subgenre until you end up looking at something completely different to the thing that you actually <laughs> went in for which which has yeah. happened to me a lot particularly with the the synthwave vaporwave thing i mean i i always forget that vaporwave is the main umbrella that synthwave is a part of i, I always oh, yeah. forget that because in my mind synthwave is so different to vaporwave but for a lot of people, synthwave is a subgenre of vaporwave. Yeah, and it's kind of it's hard to find information on vaporwave. Also, like, it, people are just like cut up samples, throw drums on it, filter it, you're done. And I'm like, but I hear more than that. If our listeners want to check you out, Epic B, where do they need to go? Obviously, we've got Epic B on Spotify, and there will be links in the description. Yes, there will. Yeah, but any yes. other things you want to shout out right at the end? Um, I mean, honestly, you can find me on pretty much most platforms under It's Just Epic B. So that's I-T-S-J-U-S-T-E-P-I-C-B. Um, Bandcamp, Instagram, Twitter, whatever. All, um, the, sh- all kinda, the socials. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I try to keep it simple so that way people can just, like, look for me. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, uh... Got got loads of new music coming out with with some artists, so um, I'm excited. I'm excited to see, you know, whoever's listening, who, who loves, you know, what I'm talking about and stuff. Hit me up and let me know. Also, if they want to get into your sort of sound design ethos, they can check out Baby Audio's BA One, where you've actually designed some of the factory sound bank. Oh yes, yes. You see my name on Baby Audio's B1, I'm BA1. Uh, that was an amazing experience. Um, shout out to Baby Audio for hitting me up for that. Um, oh yeah, also I have a Discord server called Planet E where we create all types of music. Um, we mainly focus on like underground club sounds like FDM, Jersey Club, um, funk, you know, just the sounds that, that are not, mainstream sounds but you know stuff that you want to try um and if you got any new sounds that you that you're working on you could join the discord and put us on um but yeah i'll send the link in for that right it's been a pleasure having you on epic b thanks for being on it's been an absolute joy thanks for coming on thank you thank you for having me (laughs) 